Well, my children just call him dad's weird friend. And it's not that they're being mean. He has, <laughs> he has earned that title um, because of some of the strange things that he has done over the years. One of those was that he called up Pathway one day and he asked the person who answered the phone if he could speak to Pope Jeff. And, uh, and the best part was the admin person getting on the intercom to me saying that there's, uh, th- there's a guy on the phone who wants to talk to the Pope. Do you want to talk to him? I mean, that's, that's just this guy. I've known him since elementary school. And so when we got into college, we decided we should take a road trip together. We decided we wanted to go to Florida and play some golf. And so that was the plan. He was living in Chicago at the time, and I wasn't too far away. And so the plan was I'd go, and I'd pick him up, and we'd head on down. Of course, neither one of us had a reliable car. We're college students. And so my dad was foolish enough. To, I, I mean, he was kind enough to loan us his car, which was... A Chevy Chevette. Some of you may remember the Chevy Chevettes back in the day. And it was actually both good and bad. It was good because it was a car. It was actually a diesel engine. And it got over 55 miles to the gallon. And it was bad because my friend's like 6'5". And so his knees were in his chin pretty much the entire trip. But uh, that was the plan. And of course, we didn't have any money either. And so we didn't want to waste money on a hotel or hotels. And so actually, we stayed with people in Florida that we knew. But uh, on the way, we didn't want to stop in a hotel. So we pretty much just drove straight through. We left Chicago early in the morning. And our first stop was Georgia. And it was a lot of hours. And uh, we only stopped there because we needed some fuel. Then we got back in the car and drove the rest of the way. So the 20-plus hour trip, we spent about 10 minutes out of the car. It was a great trip. We had a, we had a great time. If I tried that today with Carolyn, first of all, my bladder would rebel. And I think she probably would too. It would be a different trip altogether than it was back then. But road trips are interesting things. And today we are continuing on in our road trip sermon series, where we are thinking about some of the parallels that exist between what road trips are like. We take road trips in the summer, of course. And I know that many of you are in the process of planning one or will soon be taking one. And so there are parallels between the road trips that we take and how we process our way through life. And, and we're going to be thinking about that today as the series continues. And specifically, we're thinking about traveling companions, those that we spend our life with, and specifically fostering relationships. That's what we're going to be thinking about today. Truth is that we all travel through life with a lot of different people, and I think that it's safe to say that some of the relationships that we have with the people we're navigating life with are very good, and some are not so good. They're all different, and some of them are very warm, and we love to lean into those relationships and spend time with those people, and others of those are not quite so warm. And actually, those are people that sometimes we actually try to avoid or, or we resist those relationships or maybe we ignore those people as much as we can. And as you just think about the people who exist in your life, you, you can put people in those different categories. Maybe at work you see that person coming and you duck down another hallway just so you don't have to encounter them. Or the same thing might happen in your neighborhood or even potentially in your family. And for some of us, we're willing to allow those walls to build up. And so you have family members that you avoid. 
Or when there's that gathering of the family, you choose not to go because of the nature of those relationships. Or maybe it's that you say some, some bad things about coworkers, or you're cold to your neighbors. We allow those things to come on in. The truth is that relationships are hard. And some are really, really hard. And today we're going to take a look at some of those things that stand in the way of relationships, of making good relationships better, or taking ones that are troubled and actually moving them forward in a positive way. But if that's going to happen, it's going to only happen through intentionality, that we would be intentional about how it is that we're interacting and engaging in those relationships, the ones that are already good and the ones that aren't so good. And so I want to spend the time that we have together today thinking about how do we intentionally move our way forward. And I think that there are some skills that we need to learn in order to accomplish that. And that's really the, the essence of what I want to say to you are these, these different skills that we can take on and how we see from the Scriptures that they will indeed have an impact and how they have in the past. And so the first of those skills that I believe that we need to learn is to navigate relational tensions. These are on your outline there if you want to jot some of these things down as we go. Relational tensions have the potential of popping up wherever you have a clash of opinions and wherever you have a clash of value systems. If you put a Republican and a Democrat together in a room and you tell them they've got to talk politics, there's a decent chance that there's going to be some tension that is going to arise there in that room. If you take a, a priest and a rabbi and a pastor and you put them all in a room together, First of all, you got the start of a good joke, but also you have the potential of relational tensions that would exist there because of the different value systems, because of the different belief systems that they have coming into that room. But here's the thing, just because you have the makings for relational tension doesn't mean that it has to actually derail the relationships. What it means is that if we're going to do well in that circumstance, we need to learn to navigate the tensions that automatically are going to arise or that naturally would arise. And as you look into the scriptures, you can actually find that there is a lot of tension in different relationships between different people and different groups of people. And one of those people who was very, very good about navigating the relational tensions that existed was Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, Jesus didn't have any relational tension. Yes, he had a lot of relational tensions, but he's an expert at navigating his way through those. And we're going to take a look at the way that he has done what it is that he has done because it's going to help us also. If you just think about his life, he's one who came into this earth and lived his life with sinless perfection, but yet he is living among people who were all filled with sin. That's a different value system. The sinners are valuing going after those things that are opposed to the cause of Christ, and yet here he is. Here he is. Yet he never shied away from hanging out with those people, of entering into those those circumstances where inevitably there's going to be tension that is going to arise. And even among the worst of sinners, you can find Jesus hanging out. And one of the places where we see that very clearly is in Luke chapter 5. We're going to kind of be jumping around the scriptures today, and you're welcome to turn to the passages or we'll put them up on the screen and you can just follow along there if that's easier for you to do. You might want to just jot down some of the references and you can go back and, and review some of those some more later on. But it's here in this account in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus encounters a man named Levi. His name is also Matthew, and he is a tax collector. And some of you know that tax collectors were not very well respected in those days because not only would they collect the tax that was due, they would collect more tax beyond that. 
And whatever it is that they could gain beyond what they had to turn in, they could just line their pockets with that. And so that's what's going on with this guy. And so he's not very well respected. He's not well thought of. He, in part, is taking from the Jews. He is a Jewish man who's taking from the Jews, and he's giving it to the Romans. Imagine how well that would go down. I imagine in uh, how well it would go down in Stiller's country if Big Ben was ripping people off and he was taking the money and giving it to the patriots, right? I mean, that would not go very well, and it's not going very well for Levi here either or the tax collectors. That's how people felt about them. So along comes Jesus, and he enters into this tension, and instead of pushing himself away from Levi or Levi away from him, he actually invites Levi to come and follow him as one of his disciples. And Levi agrees, and here's how the story goes down. In Luke chapter 5, it tells us, Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. There's this huge potential for tremendous tension going on in this room. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, their expectation for Jesus is that he would have drawn a line between where he held his values or where they thought he ought to hold his values and everybody else who was on the other side of the line. And that you should never cross over that line. And can we just acknowledge that that's a place where it's easy for us to navigate ourselves also? That there's this temptation, there's this tendency for us to also gravitate to our side of the line and whoever is on the other side of the line, we aren't really that comfortable in going over there or encountering them. There are too many tensions. There's a different philosophical belief system in how it is they're living their life. It's more comfortable staying on our side of the line. But what does Jesus do here? This is very important to Acknowledge. See, Jesus is on a mission to engage people where they were and share his love with them. So when he receives this invitation to go and hang out with this guy who has different value system than he does and a bunch of his friends who also have a different value system than he does, Jesus jumps at the opportunity to go. And that is so very instructive, I believe, for all of us. You see, you have coworkers and neighbors and family members who view life very differently than you do. They hold different values than you do. They act in ways that you would never act. They do things that you just would never do. That is just life in our day and age. You can just get used to that because that is not going to change. But you've got a choice in the midst of that. You can either decide to run away from that or you can run into that right you can either avoid them or you can engage them to avoid them says says i'm more interested in comfort for me than connection with you i'm more interested in comfort for me than connection with you to engage them says that i'm willing to navigate the tension that is probably going to exist between us so that we might have the opportunity to connect and grow to a level that is beyond where we have been keeping things very much on the surface to this point. Now, some people object to that idea and they feel that it's a, a compromise on their part. Or like, if I enter into that person's world, if I go into their house, if I entertain a warm and friendly relationship with them, then I'm endorsing everything that they're about. I'm endorsing their point of view. I'm endorsing their mindset. I'm saying the way that they are living is okay just because I've entered in. That is not the case. 
You're not going to lose your sanctification for moving into an environment like that if somebody disagrees with you. You're not compromising your values. In fact, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to enter into some of those places is actually living out your values. It's not compromising your values. Because God has called us to connection. He's called us to be willing to navigate the relational tensions that can exist between us and other people so that we might be able to move into their sphere, into their world, and actually be in a place where we can have relationship and ultimately have some influence in that place. But until you get outside of your comfort zone, which it's going to require, until you do so, you are going to never connect with others. Your prejudices are going to stay intact. They might even grow. And truth ultimately is not going to be heard in that context. See, if you avoid your neighbors so you're sure that their values won't influence yours, you can be absolutely certain that yours won't influence theirs. If you avoid your neighbors, if you avoid those people who are out of step with where you are so that you're sure that their values would not influence yours, you can be sure that yours will not influence theirs. Don't lose track of that. So be willing to engage with others who are different from you. Don't expect somebody who hasn't been changed by the grace of Jesus to live like someone who has. They're simply living according to their value system, to the belief system. They're living according to their worldview. And we simply need to accept them for where they are instead of insisting that they get where we are before there's someone whose world we're willing to go ahead and enter into. That's going to be a big paradigm shift for many of us who have thought there is this great value in avoiding instead of entering in because we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect our family, which really leads us to a to a good question as we make our way along as to whether or not every environment is a good one to just go ahead and walk into yourself or to send your kids into and the answer is of course not we certainly most definitely need to be discerning because not all situations are healthy and beneficial this is not a license to sin this is not well pastor jeff said i should go engage with them and this is what they do and this is where they go so i'm going to go all those same places and do all those same things because that's the way that I can engage with them. That's the way that I can break down the wall. No, you don't have to enter into everything in order to navigate the relational tensions that can exist in those relationships. But you need to be willing to enter in so that you might have opportunity for influence. God has called us to that very thing. So that's one of the things, navigating relational tensions if we're going to foster relationships is a necessity. Another is to conquer personal roadblocks. Every road trip you take encounters roadblocks and potholes and, and detours and, and times when you come upon construction zones and you get narrowed down into one lane. It happens on every trip. But come on, the Vanport Bridge again? I mean, really? Really, last year I think I joked with you that it's like going to be a 50-year project. I didn't know I was right. It's ridiculous. We're, we're going down to one lane again in that. Or the other day I was on my way to work and a portion of Braun Road was, was shut down temporarily. And it was easy to see why because there was this huge water geyser that was shooting like 30 or 40 feet up into the air just, just right near the bridge by uh, right along Braun Road. It was easy to see what the problem was. There was a water main problem, and, and I thought it was kind of fun to watch. I thought it was kind of interesting to see <laughs> until I got to church and realized that that meant that there's no water in the building. 
which wasn't too inconvenient until it came to bathroom time. And then there's some dilemma. Do you, you, I'm not going to go into that. You can just imagine. But, uh, but so there's going to be those sort of roadblocks, those things that are going to come up inevitably that we're going to have to face. What do you do in the circumstances that arise? And what are some of those natural sticky situations? Well, one of those is time. Time. How many of you would love to have more time in your day? You don't even have to raise your hand because I know it's basically all of us would love to have more time to do other things, other priorities. But the fact of the matter is, as much as I'd love to have more time, God has given me, God has given you exactly the right amount of time that we need for accomplishing what it is he's putting in front of us. The question is, how are we using the time that we have? How are you, we using the resource that we have been given? See, we seem to have this belief that the busier we are, the more important that we are. The more meaningful our life is. And so as much as we complain about being busy, somewhere deep down inside, we kind of like the fact that we are, because if we weren't, then maybe our life would lack something than those other people whose lives are so busy. Maybe it would mean that we're a little bit lazy in some way, shape, or Form because we don't have what other people have, but the value we place on busyness, be it real or perceived, is a problem because it sends a signal, first of, our, first of all, to ourselves that I'm so busy and I have this narrative, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, so that when even opportunity comes along, our first inclination is to say no if it's going to require any time whatsoever because I don't have the time. So no, I won't enter in. No, I can't help you out. No, I will not take part in whatever that is. And we're missing out on all sorts of opportunities because we have created for ourselves this world that says, I just don't have time for that. Unfortunately, it's also a world that says, I don't have time for you. And when you give off this whole, this whole aura that you are so busy, what you're saying to other people is, I really wish that you'd leave me alone because I don't have time for you. And the problem with all of that is that the time that we have been given in large part is to be used for connection, is to be used to engage with other people. That's what God's call on our life is about. It's not to live life alone. It's not to just be selfish and do the things that I want to do. It's to engage with you. It is to have opportunity with other people so that we might grow together, so that we might accomplish together the purposes that God has given to us. That's why we talk about getting connected to groups and smaller environments where you can serve and where you can be known and where you can know others and encourage and be encouraged and on and on and on it goes because God's intention is that we would live this life in connection with other people and when we say I just don't have the time we're setting ourselves up for failure ultimately now, this means we got to be intentional and, and very focused. Don't just do some drive-by neighboring with your folks who are living next door. And it's like, well, I wave to my neighbors all the time. Yeah, and you're in your car as you're driving by their house as you do so, or you're walking by on the sidewalk where they're up on the porch and you shout a hello. That is not being a good neighbor. That is not engaging in friendship. There are times when you've got to stop. Now, don't stop every time because they don't want that either. But sometimes you're going to have to stop to foster that relationship the truth is that love and hurry are incompatible love ultimately takes time it takes undivided attention and a willingness to enter in i may have told you this before but there was a time that we were sitting at home and carolyn was sharing about her day and she was 
she was using a lot of detail and she was using a lot of embellishment. And what it was not my finest husbanding moment, I said to her, could you please just net it out? <laughs> yeah, you're afraid to laugh, aren't you? Because that's so horrible. I get it. How love did she feel in that moment? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Love and hurry are incompatible. And there are times in the relationships that you are in, not just spouses, not just family, but that which goes beyond, that which goes into the workplace, that which, that which goes into the neighborhood, and so forth, where you've got to slow down. You've got to make the investment of yourself and of your time and get past that roadblock of time. That's one of them. Another roadblock that commonly comes up is fear. You might fear that if you reach out to try to be a friend to somebody that you'll be rejected or maybe that you'll be drawn into the friendship and you'll find out that they're needy or they're clingy. There are all kinds of different fears that we encounter. But I would suggest to you that to not be too exclusive in who you are willing to get close to or who you're willing to allow to get close to you. My guess is that many of us have shut ourselves off from a relationship that would have been beneficial because we were thinking about all the ways that it could go bad. Here's what could possibly happen. This could possibly happen. It hasn't happened yet. You don't know that that's going to happen, but the fear of the possibility of it happens keeps you keeping people at arm's length. And for many of us, the number of people that we've allowed actually to come into our inner circle is next to nothing and maybe nothing for months and for years because we're afraid of how things could go bad and we'd rather have nobody than have the wrong somebody. And we're missing out on the greatest of things that could be happening and the greatest of opportunities that could be ours to lean into other people's lives along the way as well. Besides managing relationships so you only engage in what is pleasant and helpful, that's not friendship at all. That's selfishness. That's using other people. Instead, Proverbs teaches us that a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. That is so powerful. That tells us so much about the way that we ought to enter in and that we ought to set aside fear to be willing to step into wherever it is that that is needed. We're here for one another, and I'd encourage you to lean in. It's going to provide blessing all the way around. And I've just got to pat you on the back for a moment as a congregation in this regard. I had opportunity shortly after Kindred Ferguson passed this last week to spend time with Glenn and the family, and uh, it, was, it was encouraging to see the way that so many people so much of a network of relationship just swarmed around the family just so very quickly. It was a great thing to see. People who weren't afraid to step into what might be an uncomfortable situation otherwise. And to hear her give testimony of how through Kindred's illness that, that there were basically no days that ever passed by where there wasn't a card or two or three or something in the mailbox just to encourage them and to, and to lift them up and to help to carry their burden. That's why we're here. Not all of those circumstances are easy or fun, but it's why we're here. And I've seen you carry this out in so many wonderful ways in the past. I just want to continue to spur you on toward that and even to consider and examine where else can you continue to move forward and what other relationships can you bring this to bear? Can you set aside the time constraint? Can you set aside the fear so that you're willing to 
enter in and to conquer those roadblocks that otherwise would stand in the way. Then there's another essential when it comes to being a good traveling companion through the roads of life and fostering these relationships, and that's to be blessable. To be blessable. Now, for all of you English majors out there, I realize that blessable is not a word. I know that. I just want to use it today because I want to drive you nuts. No, that is not why I want to use it today. I want to use it today because I think that it will be even more memorable to use a word that's not really a word because you know what it means. And this is a really important point, and I want us to be sure that we don't miss it. Some of you are very good at caring for other people. If there's a kind deed to be done, you'll do it. If there's a sacrifice to be made, you will make it. But when it comes to receiving the kindness of another person toward you, you're horrible. You're horrible. You know what I'm talking about, right? For some, that's because of pride, and, and we don't want to be in, we don't need anything from anyone. Or maybe in another circumstance, it's that we don't want to be in anybody's debt. Or maybe it's that we genuinely believe, well, if I don't accept those things from somebody else, then they don't have to do those other things, and then their life is going to be enriched because they don't have to spend their time doing something for me. See, but there's a fundamental problem with that point of view or with that thinking because genuine relationship requires give and take. If you're just the giver and never the receiver, you might be a benefactor, but you're not a friend. If you're just the giver and never the receiver, you might be a benefactor, but you're not a friend to that person. If you're going to be a good traveling companion, you're going to have to learn the art of receiving because nobody always wants to be on the receiving end only. Okay, so some of us might be willing to try that for a little while, but in the grand scheme, we don't like that because it becomes demeaning. It becomes demeaning to always be the one who's receiving, to always be the needy one. So if you want to develop a friendship and not a project, you've got to learn to receive. The value of the kindness shown back and forth doesn't have to be the same. That is, that you don't have to keep a ledger and say, well, they've They've probably given more into me and into the relationship than I've given into them. So before anything else happens, I've got to give back so that we keep the balance. It doesn't have to be that, but it does have to be reciprocal where you're not only willing to give, but you're willing to receive. Now, I admit, I am not the best at this. I am not the best at this. I've told you before about my snowblower neighbor. He is a guy who's got a snowblower and he loves to use it, and he loves to use it on my driveway. And I don't think that there was a single snow this last year, if I didn't get out to the driveway first, that he didn't snowblow my driveway. And I got to tell you, it makes it kind of uncomfortable. Because sometimes I had to wait in the house a long time until he got out there. (laughs) Not really, not really. I mean, I would try to get out there as quickly as I possibly could so that I could do it so that he wouldn't do it. Because it did get a little uncomfortable for him to constantly be doing that for me I tried to get him to stop I said thank you so much that was so wonderful of you to do now you really don't have to do that you really don't and he'd just keep doing it over and over again and eventually he just came to recognize and and learn the fact that it was a tremendous blessing to him for me to be blessable now we certainly did things back for him also but 
he's made it very clear that I would be stealing a blessing if I weren't willing to be blessable in this particular regard. It's just something that he can do that he wants to do. Jesus knew this principle too. On one occasion, he's dining at the Pharisee's house, and Luke tells us what happens. He writes, When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And immediately the Pharisees are upset about the fact that Jesus has allowed this woman, this woman who's clearly on the other side of the line from where he should be living his life, to touch him, to get near him. And that, she would, that he would allow her to waste all of that expensive perfume just by pouring it out on him. Did Jesus need that anointing? No. He didn't need that anointing from her but she needed to be able to give it. And it ends up being a tremendous blessing to her that Jesus is blessable. Exactly the same thing. For many of us, it's going to take us out of our comfort zone to be on the receiving end of kindness, but no friendship is going to advance without it. It can't advance without it. So it goes both ways. I believe there's so much opportunity in front of us as we consider how we would foster relationships and what we've talked about today. See, the divides in this country are growing deeper and deeper and deeper. It would be so easy for us to recognize the chasm that exists and that we would keep ourselves safely on our side of the chasm that we would hang out with the people who are on our side of the divide. People that we're comfortable with. People with whom we won't have the same sorts of conflict. We won't have the same sorts of problems. Fine. Let them, they want to go that way. They want to be those people. They want to live those lifestyles. That's fine. They can stay on their side of the chasm, and I'll stay on mine, and we'll just kind of coexist by not coexisting. We can make that choice. And some of us have. But it's not the biblical choice. Because the biblical choice would say to us today, we need to consider who's on the other side of the chasm and live with intentionality to cross over that chasm so that we might engage the people who are living lives that are very different from ours, who are living by value systems that are very different from ours, and that we wouldn't allow the excuses of time, the excuses of fear, to stand in the way of engaging them. So I want you to consider for yourself, who are those people in your life? It's not that you're even being mean to them. It's just you're not willing to be friendly toward them. Not really. You'll say a nice hello with a smile on your face when you see them as you walk into work. But the idea of actually engaging with them and going another level down scares you. It's like, I would never consider doing that, or at least to this point I haven't. And I just want to challenge you to put in your own mind, who is that neighbor? Who is that person that you're acquainted with? Who is that person that works near you? That God might just be saying to you today, I want you to be willing to navigate the tension. I want you to enter in. I want you to ask them about their life. 
I want you to ask them about that person that they're connected to, that they're living with, that they're whatever the case might be. And just see where God might take that. This is our pathway to life process. It's initiating relationship with other people, not just people you're like, or not just people that you do like. Investing your life in their life doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Doesn't mean you need to start living the way that they live or going all the places that they go. But you can still make an investment. And then to invite. Invite them into relationship with you, into relationship with Jesus, into relationship with the church. I know that there are people in your life where you've been just navigating on the surface. It's time to take a step deeper. Who would that be for you? And how can you do that in this week that's coming? As you do so, yes, there will be some comfort zones you need to step out of. But whoever said living in comfort zones is the best way to live? Not Jesus. Because that's not the example we find in him. And I pray that we'd be willing to follow his example for his glory and the benefit of our relationships. Heavenly Father, we want to be people who live in meaningful relationships, certainly with you, but also with others. Lord, it's easy to acknowledge and recognize the fact that it's easiest to live on our side of the line, on our side of the chasm, hanging out with the people that we're like, hanging out with the people that do the things that we do, who hold all the value systems that we hold. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to step beyond that, to genuinely be interested, and not to enter into relationships with judgment, not to enter into relationships looking down on people, not entering in expecting them to live as one who has the grace of Jesus flowing through them when they don't, and they're simply living by their own worldview, that we would recognize that for what it is and just step into it and not look down on them, not talk about them behind their back, to those who are on our own side of the line, not to point fingers, but rather to enter in and to get to know a little something about who they are and maybe why they do the things that they do. And it might just open up our own eyes and it will certainly give us the opportunity to influence a world as we recognize the way that you lived your life, who it is that you engaged. And as we follow after that call for ourselves, so Lord, give us the courage and give us the grace to enter into those relationships, Lord. We offer you our lives, all that we are, all that we can be to your service, for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.